Okay, today's step is Samachay. We're going to start right at the very bottom of Samach Dalad Amabet. Um, before we start, I want to go back to the Nevela. We had these three opinions, which we'll get back to today, about the Ger Toshav, what makes someone a Ger Toshav, and we had one opinion, which was, um, just look inside, um, Ger Toshav, sorry, I can't find it. Um, right, one is that he's Ezu Ger Toshav, Right, so we had Rabbi Meir said, right, he has to accept in front of three people not to worship Avodah Zarah. So it's just Avodah Zarah. So he says, you have to accept upon Mitzvot B'nei Noach. Now it's interesting, he doesn't comment that you have to do it B'fnei Shlosha, and neither do the Acherim, but Many of the Mepharshim understand that it means not only do you have to do it B'fnei Shlosha, but you also need to not only accept Avodah Zarah, but also each all the rest. One. Right, each one is building on that, but everyone assumes there has to be some sort of Kabbalah. Um, it's not enough just to keep the Sheva Mitzvot. You have to say, I'm doing it L'shem, keeping the Sheva Mitzvot Noach. And then, the weird sheet how we saw was that Acherim Omrim, Elu lo ba'u l'chlal ger toshav, right? It's not that, that's not enough. Okay, now, I figured out what the Nevela issue was. It was obvious if, once, if I had just looked. The Pasuk by Nevela, in other words, where does it come up? The only thing that talks about in the Torah that a Ger Toshav can do that's not allowed to us is Nevela. Because it says in the Pasuk, okay, in Devarim Yudalid, Pasuk Kaf Aleph, Either give it to a ger in your sharim or give it to an okri. So obviously, they can eat nevela. Otherwise, right? Because obviously a ger doesn't mean a ger tzedek, right? That would be a real ger, and they obviously can't eat nevela. They're Jewish. So it would have to be a ger toshav. And therefore, he says, there's actually a difference. It's not everybody has this nusach, by the way, which says... Um, Okay, there's there's different girsa out here. Okay, there's a bit of a girsa problem. It's not necessarily clear that it says all that. Rashi clearly says that, but it's not clear that Rashi actually had that nusach. Um, it could be the nusach that we have in the Gemara, not everybody had, and that really what it meant is ogoy zochel nevelo. But yeah, we don't know where to draw the line between that and that. And it's somewhere between worshiping of Hodesara. Right, not worshiping Avodah Zarah, and yes, eating a velot, and somewhere in the middle there. Okay, which makes a little more sense than saying he keeps every single mitzvah other than that, um, which struck us as kind of odd. Okay, we're going to come back to the Ger Toshav in a little right now. Rav Yehuda Shadolei Korbana. Interesting, they call it a Korbana. What it means is a gift. He sent a gift, La'avidarna. He was a, obviously a non-Jew, you could tell by his name. Biyom Adam on the day of the non-Jewish holidays. Okay, going back to the first parak where we learned you're not allowed to give gifts to non-Jews on their holidays because they will be so happy they got a gift they'll go thank their gods immediately and then your it comes from Lo Yishama Alpicha right you shouldn't have any mention of the Avodah at all. Um, I can't remember now. That's the exact wording. Anyway, it's from, you know, you can't have any kind of anything to do with the Avodah Zarah, and therefore, um, it would be a problem. So why did he give Avidarna this gift? Rav Yehuda was a big chacham, right? Why did he give this gift to Avidarna? Amar, 
Very radical. He says, I know he doesn't worship a Vodazara, and therefore it's allowed. This goes with, by the way, every time we said, you know, the Meiri said, anyway, nowadays all the non-Jews are not worshippers, etc., right? It, it gets, uh, you know, you, you, this opens a big heter, which we're going to see. We're going to question this in a bit, maybe. Um, I'm not sure actually what to make of this. the next sugya. We'll talk about it when we finish reading it. Um, so he says, I know it's okay because he doesn't worship a Vodazara. Amarle Rav Yosef. Rav Yosef says, and I'm going to prove what he just said. V'hatanya, ezehu ger toshav, kol shegibela b'fnei shlosha chavarim, shelo... Oh, sorry, no. This is a question. Right, he says, but doesn't it say, ezehu ger toshav, kol shegibela b'fnei shlosha chavarim, shelo l'avod avodah kochavim? In which case, um, right, according to this, we would say, because well, he's not worshipping one. Because he hasn't he didn't accept it in front of three people. No, okay, that's the assumption. Right. He hasn't accepted it in front of three people, and therefore that shouldn't be enough. To just say he doesn't worship a Vodazara. I right. How do you know he didn't say it in front of three? Because he said, I know he doesn't worship a Vodazara, but that means I know, but you know, I know what he does, but not that he actually official. made an official Kabbalah. Okay, now what I didn't mention yesterday is that this whole context of the Braita of Ezu Ger Toshav comes up in the context of something else. Okay, it comes up in the context of this Pasuk in Bayikra, Perakafe, Pasuk Lamed Imach. Okay, if your brother's struggling, he's having trouble, you have to help him. Okay? It could be he was getting sold into slavery, you have to help him find the money. Not only your brother, but also a ger and a toshav, and they have to live with you. So what do we learn from here? That if the same law applies also to a ger toshav, it's called, we'll see in the words of the Gemara, you have to help him to survive if he's struggling. You have a chiyuv to help a ger toshav, and then that brighter went off on, well, who's a ger toshav that you have a mitzvah, l'hachayoto? Okay, when does this mitzvah, l'hachayoto, come in? Is it when he accepts in front of three people to do not to worship before Zara? Is it he accepts not to do the Shabbat mitzvah but enough? Or he accepts all the mitzvot, just not nevela? Um, so, according to this, that shouldn't be good enough for Avidarna. So what do they answer? Kitanya hayi l'hachayoto. That's just lachayoto. That's not right. That's talking about only the issue of lachayoto. It's not talking about the issue of giving them gifts on their holiday. In other words, now this ends up a strange conclusion. It says there's a chiyuv to help him survive, even if right, only if he keeps. You know, he he had this acceptance of mitzvot, but when it comes to doing business with him on Yom Edam, well, that you could do anyway. You know, as long as you know he doesn't worship idols, that's okay. And maybe that's a big head here. First of all, you could say very simply, right, one's Doraita. And the question is, when do we have a Doraita Chiyuv Lachayoto? And that's going to be, we're going to need strict definitions. And when it comes to this Dorabanan, don't do business with them on their holidays. So maybe we saw in general in the beginning of the Messiah, they were trying to be Mekel about this as much as they could. So maybe this is another Kula, where they're just trying to say, well, if it doesn't wash idols, then it's okay. But doesn't Rabbi Barachana say in the name of Rabbi Yochanan that if he basically accepts upon him, at least at this point we're assuming, it's a ger toshav, he accepts upon him to keep the Sheva Mitzvah B'nei but then within the next 12 months he doesn't do a Brit Milah, then it's as if 
he changed his mind and he goes back to being an Ovei Kochavim. Okay, he's treated like a Min Shebovdei Kochavim, like a heretic. Okay, who's like an Ovei Kochavim. So, first of all, this seems quite strange and we're going to reject this in a minute because who is to assume that a Ger Toshav, his point was to convert? No, a Ger Toshav, his point was to keep Shav and Mitzvah, but he never had intents to convert. But right now, the Havamina is, according to this statement that they quote in the name of Rabbi Yochanan, that a Ger Toshav has about a 12-month period. If he doesn't do a Brit Milah, then he goes back to being considered a Kochavim. So the Gemara says, no, you misunderstood that statement. You took the statement of Rabbi Yochanan out of context, because otherwise it really makes no sense. Because if you say this, then we're going to basically say that, right, that a Ger Toshav is, is not just someone who says, I'm not going to worship a Vodazara, because if he says that, and then 12 months pass and he hasn't done a Brit Milah, he's not considered a Ger Toshav anymore. Right? This is going back to question the definition of a Ger Toshav. So now they say, no, you misunderstood. It's only if he was a gear who was on the path of conversion. In other words, maybe he started with the Sheva Mitzvah and he said, I'm going to convert within the next year. And then he doesn't convert with, right? He doesn't do the Brit Milah within the first 12 months. Okay, this obviously wasn't in modern day Israel, Israel because there's many people who have been trying to convert for years and can't necessarily finish. So that's a, that's a separate question. But... What? But maybe they've done this part. Of it. The Brit Milah? Not yeah. usually, right? That's Dafka, the part they do at the very end, right? Nobody does the Brit Milah until, I mean, they might have had a Brit Milah anyway, but they have to do a Hatafatam Brit, the shame um, conversion. That no one's going to do unless they're really actually converting. So, anyway, that was just an aside. But basically, what they're saying is it's only someone who intended to convert and didn't convert, we can assume that they changed their mind and they're going back to, to their original to be, ways. This would seem to be a problem of a neder, not a problem of. Conversion. Uh-huh. He broke his word, that's all. Right, well, the question is how do we treat him? Do we treat him as an idol worshiper or do we treat him as a Ger Toshav? Why doesn't he say a Ger Toshav? He was doing something extra. No, so again, the question is was he a Ger Toshav for the purposes of being just a Ger Toshav? That was his intent. If that was his intent, then he stays a Ger Toshav. But if he started keeping mitzvot, B'nai Noach, let's say, with the intent, I want to convert, and then he doesn't convert, then we can. We, Again, what's the question? The question is, do we, have to, do we have to save him? Or can we assume that maybe we can be Mekel and say, this guy might have gone back to being an Obey Kochavim unless we know, right? Since he started on the path and didn't finish, we can assume maybe he rejected the whole thing. It doesn't, I'm sorry, it just yeah. doesn't even make sense logically because isn't uh, Obey Kochavim below uh, Mitzvot B'nai Noah? Yeah. So he was just going back to the level... But that's the point. The point is if he went, he was on a conversion track and stopped then we might assume that he went back to the way he was originally, which was in Ovei Kochavim. Because, it was a, yeah, because he didn't finish. Balance. Because, right, because he never finished the process. Mm-hmm. Okay? If he was just going to be a Ger Toshav, then he stays a Ger Toshav. But if he kind of was moving up, you know, or moving in a direction, whether it's up or not, along. right? But moving along, and then he goes, then he doesn't finish, then we can assume he's going back. Because That's he has religious problems. Maybe. Again, right. They don't know why he didn't convert, but they can assume. Right. Mm-hmm. It's possible he rejected the whole thing. Um, okay. Now we get to a very odd story. Okay. Rava Amtele Korban on the Bar Shishach, Biyom Edam. Okay. It starts off very similar to the other story. Instead of Rav Yudah, it's Rava. Instead of Rav Yudarna, it's Rav Bar Shishach. Rava gives the gift to Bar Shishach, Biyom Edam. Amar, he says, I know I can give him this gift because Yadana be Jilo Palach Lavodak Kochavim. I know that he doesn't worship idols. Okay. I want you to remember the way the story starts. Everyone assumes, right, we, we can try to say we know things about other people, right? Maybe this is the theme of the story. 
when we think we know things, do we really know things? How much do we really know about what's going on in other people's minds? And even maybe we could say, you'll see at the end of the story, how much do we even know about ourselves? Okay, this is an, I think that's the theme of what's going on here. It's interesting, the Gemara, again, when the Gemara brings stories, they don't always bring them. It's not so clear what their halachic agenda is in this. But in other words, the, the story isn't brought in a way to question anything. But I think that clearly the underpinnings of the story are questioning who are you to say you know if somebody does or doesn't worship idols or does or doesn't. And what's the connection maybe between idol worship and prostitution? In other words, it, can one not worship idols and yet be with prostitutes, which we're going to see in a minute, and that's okay? Like we still consider them a non-idol worshiper? Or maybe those are one and the same, right? We know many people talk about Avodah We don't really have Avodah nowadays, but maybe we can say that other things are Avodah the way people worship popular culture, other things like that. Maybe, again, the story is just a story, and it doesn't directly talk about any of these things, but I think there's some things going on underneath this story. Um, so he gives them this gift on the holiday, knowing that, right? Some of them approach him, by the way, ask about all these things. Why did they Dafki give them on the holiday? You know, but it could be. It was just, that was the day. They happened to see them. You know, it happened to be on the holiday. I assume it wasn't intentional. This says that Unless they were trying to make a point. This says that it was a holiday. It was New Year. But um, the ones who were idol worshippers celebrated it by worshiping, and the ones who were not idol worshippers celebrated it by celebrating the New Year's and by uh, and know, that's drinking. why they it was brought. Just a I see. New it was Year's a way presents. of bringing. Ah, yeah, Okay, like nowadays, right? People give Christmas gifts to workers of theirs or things like that. So those who receive gifts on New Year's Day regarded it as a good omen, but uh-huh. just for a day of feasting and marriage. Okay, that's a good explanation. Azal um, eshkachin So he goes and finds him. Where does he find him? He's up to his neck in rose water. Petals. The, what? Rose petals. rose petals. Okay, rose petals. And there's lots of naked prostitutes with them. Okay, imagine Rava, this great rabbi, right, going to give this gift to this non-Jewish guy, and there's naked prostitutes all over the place. Amarle, now interestingly enough, you'd think maybe he'd just walk out and leave, right? That would be a typical reaction. You would assume that would happen nowadays, right? So we just immediately walk out. But instead, he engages in conversation with him. Amar so Barshishach says to him, right? Do you have anything as great as this in your world to come? Right? And this is as good as it gets, right? Great, great line. Amar didan adifa mehai. Right? What we have is better than what you have. Amar mehai mihava. How could there be anything greater than this? Amar Okay, here's our first assumption he makes about him, right? By, by us, but sorry, you are scared of the king, basically. You have the fear of the king upon you. Anan, in the world to come, anachnu, lo tehave alan emata demachuta. We will not be fearful of the kings in the world to come, right? We'll have none of that to deal with, okay? You have the fear of the king upon you. Amar he says, what are you talking about? I'm not fearful of the king. I don't have any of that. I'm such an important person that I'm not scared of the king. Right? I am in my own right. Okay, here's his assumption. I, told, I, I warned you, right? He was going to make certain assumptions. Right? First, Rabbi makes assumptions about what, what his fears are. Right? How do you, you never know what anybody's fears are. Right? But he says, you have the fear of the king upon you. And he himself says, I don't have any fears of the king upon me. Anyway, what happens? Adiyatve, while they're sitting there, Atahahu Pristaka Demalka, the a messenger of the king comes. Amarle 
Kum de Kabailach Malka. Please get up and come, you know, the king wants you to report to him. Okay? Kinafik va'azel, so now all of a sudden he realizes, I guess I do have a mata de malcha on me, because the king calls him, and what does he do? He gets up from this, you know, this bed of roses he's in, basically, in this, you know, heavenly place, and he gets up to go to the king. He has to leave, because the king calls him. So he realizes, so kinafik va'azel, as he's leaving, he realizes that Rava was right. Amar le, he says to Rava, any eye that wants to do bad to you will be uprooted. Okay? In other words, he puts a curse on anyone who does something evil to Rava because he realizes Rava's greatness, that Rava kind of almost foresaw the future. In other words, he realized, wow. We were, God was listening to it. Right, said. exactly. And that there was something, you know, Rava must be, I don't know if he actually believed in God in this moment, but he definitely saw the greatness of Rava, that Rava had some premonition, and that Rava was clearly right, that he knew something that's also what it, Rava knew something about him that he didn't even know about himself. Okay? And he says, um, okay, so he says, now, okay, what's the clincher of the story? So, Amrle Rava Amen, Rava answers Amen to that. Paka Ena Debar Shisha. His eye pops open, basically bursts, okay? His eye. Okay, now this is strange. Was he trying to do bad to Rava? In other words, maybe he was. Maybe, he, again, maybe it's one of these things he didn't even realize that deep down maybe he was bearing some, you know, maybe he did have some negative feelings toward Rava. Um, it's unclear why exactly the curse happened to him when he wasn't actually trying to do bad to Rava. He says that he was hoping that he was trying to degrade Israel to his level of this is so great and, and the, the wishing that we would leave God and settle in rose petals. Was, uh-huh. Okay, sense. right, that maybe that was wishing bad upon us, almost like he was trying to lure Rava. Maybe also that was the thing he was yes. trying to bring bad, like lure him away, yafeh. Um, Okay, so anyway, his eyes pop out, and I think what's interesting about this story is, what's with the eyes popping out? When the eyes pop out, you can't see anymore. And this whole thing is all about what you can see or not see in other people, right? Maybe also it was partly he couldn't see properly. And it, he thought he could see, and he actually couldn't see. And the part of his eye popping out was that the point is it was a lesson that you have to be able to see things maybe without, maybe vision sometimes impairs your ability to actually see things clearly. And that... Maybe, you know, in order, his problem was he wasn't seeing things clearly. And then, I, like I said, it sort of raises this question about were the rabbis even right in thinking that they can know whether somebody actually is, again, the sugya doesn't say this, but it raises a question. If you're going to decide, I can give him a gift because he's not going to go thank his gods, you have to be sure you really know what he's going to do because nobody really knows about other people what, what they're actually thinking. And maybe that's also part of what's going on in the story. And if you are going to decide it's okay for you to do this, you should really make sure you have your facts straight and that you know what's going on. I'm more curious about Rabbi's statement that in Olam Haba we won't have the fear of God on us. It seems to he be doesn't say the fear of God. He means the fear of the authorities. And okay. We'll be in a place where there's no king. I thought he was comparing right. his king to our God. No, and no. That, because we are always... Right, no. He's not talking about the fear of God. He's saying, yeah. Right. He's saying, you know, there won't be those kings upon us that... Which is probably very interesting because at the time, the Jews were probably terrified of the authority yeah. and this other... There was a difference between the... They, he, they were... Right. But right. I think you could take the story another way. Yeah. Because maybe he was furious, this guy. First of all, he has to leave his bed of roses and the rabbi's right. <laughs> 
And it might be that he said this in a sarcastic way. This I it was wish a to see evil upon compliance. Like he might have said, you know, could could have been said with like venom, uh-huh. like in a very sarcastic way. Ah, uh, that's he used to find it was that a, as a curse. It's a curse, but it's a curse to whoever does something bad to Rava. Right, but it's but a, what you're saying, Shari, is maybe he's cursing Rava. Right. Uh-huh. Interesting. And then that's why. Well, Rava answered Amen, so it's a little hard to imagine he was cursing Rava. Well, maybe, uh, maybe he said, and you said a curse, but okay, Amen. You know, uh-huh. He's like, really back works. to you. Yeah. Uh-huh. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe. Could be. Um, right. That's not the way I read it, but uh, I think it's, especially the way we've seen curses, that they really come true when people... So I don't think Rava would have answered Amen if he really meant it negatively about Rava. But it could be. It could be he was angry with him. No, I don't mean he meant it negatively about Rabbi. Yeah. I meant, like, he was really angry and mm-hmm. he was saying... And that's why it came out in a curse. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He must have been angry. Right. Right. <laughs> <laughs> right. And he also... Rabbi was the one he almost feels like made it happen because he was yeah, kind of right. testing him. Right. So, okay. Now, the story doesn't exactly continue, but they're going to basically say, why did Rabbi say the statement? And maybe they were thinking like Ruth that... Seems weird. Why would we pick this concept of a matamachut when we always, it's one thing that typifies Jews always is we always have a matamachut upon us, right? In other words, and, and partly, you know, some people think that takes away our freedom. Some people can say, no, that actually gives you freedom, that you have a, a direction. Anyway, however you want to take that. But they say instead of saying that, he could have said something else. So, Amra, Papi, Baile, the Memorale, Mehai Christ should have quoted this person. Binot Malachim, Bikrotecha. Okay, and the people who are going to visit you are the, or the people who are going to give you kavod, like yakar. Okay, um, um, so the people who are going to give you kavod are the benot malachim. Nitzvah shegal, which is a queen. The queen will be standing liminecha beketem ofir. Okay, with the, um, like a golden or something made out of, with a crown made out of Ophir, okay, with a certain type of jewel. So it's a passage that describes how beautiful, and, and basically what they say is, instead of prostitutes surrounding you, it's going to be princesses and queens. Okay, that, that's the difference. And the next thing is, um, someone else suggests another passage. Okay, meaning, right, no one has even seen what God is going to do to those who wait for him. Okay, meaning, it's obviously going to be greater than this, because you think this is the greatest thing, but ayin lo rata, again, using the ayin, right? The eyes, the, the eye has never seen what's going to be in the world to come. Whatever it is, it's going to be greater than this world. So we could have brought him psukim, but he didn't. Maybe he thought he would relate better to, you know, something, uh, an image rather than a, than a pasuk. Okay, back to the Mishnah. Okay, we started with you hire, right? A non-Jew hires you to carry his yenesach. You're not allowed to do that. But if he hires you to do other work, and then within the context of the work, he suggests, oh, why don't you carry my yenesach? You're allowed to do that. So now we're going to see, is it really like that or is it a little different? But afagav, it sounds like, according to the mission, you can do this any time of day. Afagav de lo Even though he doesn't say to him, at the end of the very end of the day, what's the difference at the end of the day? At the end of the day, he's basically finished his day of work. He's already kind of owed his wages. And at that point, he says, can you do something additional? So then it's not really included in his wages, and that's why. So he says, it sounds like the mission doesn't imply only at the end of the day. And that contradicts another source, because Remini, it says in another source. 
הסוחר את הפועל, ולאיתותי ערב אמר לו, האוויר חבית של יהיה נסח ממקום למקום, שכרו מותר. So according to this source, it sounds like, תמה דאמר לאיתותי ערב, אין, בכולי יומה, לא. It sounds from this source that the only way it's mutar is if he tells you at the very end of the day when you've already kind of earned your wages and then what you're earning here doesn't really relate to the, the work that you're going to do carrying the yei nesef. So Amar Abaye, Abaye says very simply, He says when our Mishnah was talking, it didn't say li tu te'erev, but it meant li tu te'erev. In which case our Mishnah now, right, this big ukimta, it means if he tells you during the day, oh, go carry my Again, it's not that you're not allowed to do it, you could do it, but the sachar you get, you have to, you know, you can't, you can't make a salary on that, it's asr bahana'a. Um, right, so basically you'd have to take some of that money and throw it into the yam. That's what we would do. Rava Amar Lokasha. Kanda Amarli Haverli Prutot. If he says, I want you to carry a hundred chaviyot for a hundred prutot, that means that the hundred prutot that you get are all connected to the hundred chaviyot that you slept. And if that's the case, and one of the ones that you slept had ye nesach in it, then all your salary is pasul, because all the salary is connected to the fact that you carried 100, and since you carried 100, and one of them was problematic, the whole salary is no good. And therefore, you can only do it li Arab after you finish carrying already the 100 chaviyot. But the Mishnah is talking about prutot. If he says, I want you to do 100... Uh, I'm sorry, I read it wrong. If he says, I want you to give me each chavit for a pruta, then each one is judged independently. And then any time of day you can carry the chavit of Yenesach. You just have to make sure at the end of the day you throw that pruta into the yam. Okay? That, you know, one pruta. It doesn't really matter which one. But you'd say each one was independent and therefore one of them can go, one of them is clearly designated for that chavit. Throw that into the yam and then you're no longer getting hanaf from it. The hatanya, but does, uh, uh, and here's a bright that's going to support it. The hatanya often means a question. In this case, it means a support. Hasocheret apoel v'amarlo haverli mechaviyot b'meaprutov and imseit chavit shal yenesach benehem. This says exactly what we just said, right? Scharo asur. Okay, if you say mechaviyot b'meaprutov, then it's going to be forbidden. But chavit chavit b'prutov and imseit chavit shal yenesach benehem scharo mutar. Okay, but if you do each one for pruta, then it will be fine. Hasocher, now we're continuing in the Mishnah. Hasocher tachamor lavia lehayen nesech, scharo asur. If you rent, if the guy rents a donkey from you, in order to carry yen nesech, you're not allowed to do that. So they say, right, in others, again, you can do it, but any salary you make from that, any money you make, is forbidden to benefit from. So hatu lamali, why do you need this? Hainaresha, it's the same thing as the first case. It's the same thing as paying, right, as getting paid for work. You're getting paid for him using your donkey. So they say, They brought this case to teach the second part of this case. If you remember, what was the case? If he rents the donkey just to ride the donkey, Even if he puts his own bottle of wine, which is on it, his, you're allowed to benefit from that salary. Okay, now the Gemara is going to make a strange assumption here, or at least a little bit. Are you trying to say that if he puts his cod on the donkey, okay, so he's riding on the donkey, and he's got his little cod here, okay? So now, are you trying to say, the point is, if he puts his cod on the donkey, then what are we assuming? 
If you can benefit from the salary, it means that this cod, okay, here's the assumption they're going to make, this cod being on the donkey is not included in the salary, right? Everyone agrees with that, because if putting the cod on the donkey would be part of the price, right, would be included in the price, then you'd be, bene you'd be benefiting, the money would be related to the cod of Yenesech. So their assumption is, based on that, that when I rent my donkey, I'm not including in the price you putting stuff on the donkey, carrying it with you while you're on it, which means, okay, now here's the jump, that you don't have the rights to put anything on it. Because if you didn't pay for it, you then you do don't it. have the rights to put on it. So now they say like this. So are you trying to say, you don't have the schut, you don't have the deen to put it on the donkey? Urimini, it says like this. If you rent a donkey, okay, this is now just general. This has nothing to do with non-Jews. It means that if somebody rents a donkey, it's not included in the price, the ability to put your cot on there. Because if it was included in the price, then the Jew would be, right, the money that he gets would be from, directly from Yenesach, and it would be forbidden. So therefore, it sounds like you don't have skuyot. But it says in this Brayta that if I rent a donkey, so the assumption is that when I rent a donkey, I rent it with a donkey rider. So I have the donkey, which I get to ride on, and there's a donkey rider who rides the donkey for me, and both of us have stuff that we need to carry, right? Think about a taxi cab. Okay, I was thinking, you go in your taxi cab, imagine you get picked up from the airport in a taxi cab, and the taxi cab is full of suitcases of the, of the taxi cab driver, and you have no room to put your stuff, right? So the question is, what, how much of the car can be taken up with the taxi driver's stuff, and how much does he have to leave for you, okay? So... You have rights, when you get picked up in the taxi, you have rights to bring with you all the stuff that you're going to need on the trip that you're taking, right? Again, exactly what this would mean, the taxi is a little different, but the point is, till you get to your destination. Okay, anything you might need until you get to your destination, food-wise and everything else. If you want to bring more food, then, let's say it's a three-day journey, more food than the three-day journey, the donkey rider could say, listen, this is going to make the donkey too heavy, you can't bring that much food, you'll buy on the way. Now, what's the issue with buying on the way? We all know this. If you bring your own food, it's always cheaper. When you're on the derech, people know they take advantage and they charge you higher prices. So he says, Adkan. Hamar, but the donkey driver, how, what, what are his rights? He can leave stuff for the donkey, the sorim and the tevin, for the donkey to eat. And Mizonotav and his own food, Shelotoayom. But he basically, when they, the assumption is they will walk during the day, rest at night. Every night, right, the assumption is there's rest stops on the way where you can pick up food. Every night he has to buy. He can't take three days worth or however many days their journey is. right, and any pass that day, right, one day's worth of food, Socherma Kevala. This can say, listen, this is going to slow us down. I need to get to where I want to get to. You can't put more than that on it. Amor Abaye, Nihid, so what does this show? Nihid Elegin, Dino, oh, so now, oh, sorry, let's stop here. So that's already a problem. Why is that a problem? This shows you're allowed to put food, right? You're allowed to, the assumption is that when you rent a donkey, you're carrying stuff with you. So of course you have rights to do that. So Amor Abaye, Nihid Elegin, Dina, Hudel Otuve, Mia Ilomotivle, Mia Mrinan, Le Nihile Agra Deleginato. He says, even though, you have rights to put it there. If I rent a donkey, and let's say I don't carry wine, 
So can I say to the guy I'm renting from, hey, listen, give me a better price because I'm not putting any wine on it, okay? You can't say that, right? Your taxi driver is going to cost the same amount whether you have luggage. Well, it's true because they always charge you extra for luggage. But that's not a good example. Or not always, but certainly from the airport. But let's say you're just taking a taxi ride around town and you put a suitcase in there. They're not going to charge you extra usually. So basically, the point is that it's not that the Jew is benefiting, that the salary is going connected to that jug of wine. Because... Yes, he's allowed. He does have rights to. That's why I said it was a strange assumption to begin with. Of course, he has rights to put the wine there. Nobody says he doesn't have rights. It's just that that's not included in the price. It has, it's not affected by the price whether you have the jug or don't have the jug. And therefore, and since right, could he try to say, I want to pay less money because I'm not putting a jug? Of course not. So therefore, the salary is not connected to the jug, even though, of course, he has rights to put a jug of wine on the dunk. Okay, now they say... They want to understand this brighter that we quoted about the chamor. Hey, Chidami, what's the case exactly? Because what's bothering them? Why does the renter get food for the whole way and the donkey rider only get food for the day? So, if there's a lot of food to buy on the way, so the chamor can also, so the donkey rider can say, listen, don't take more than a day's worth. And if there isn't any food to buy, then the socher can't prevent the donkey rider from taking more food. If there's not going to be food on the way, we can't make him starve. So Amra Papa, The point is, it's a place where you can basically, every evening, you can stock up on food. The donkey rider, since he's always on the road, He's used to buying food on the road, and that's his intent, right? We basically, we assume he's going to be buying food every day. But the socher loved our kilometer, but a socher, a renter, he wants to get from place to place. At this point, he doesn't travel all the time, and he's not used to buying on the road, and he wants to have his stuff with him in his comfort zone. He doesn't need to, therefore, since it's not his way to basically be buying food every day, so he is allowed to take his food for the way. I was thinking also... Generally, the, if you're a chamar and you go on this path every day, you know the, the locals and they'll give you a better price and you know, they'll take advantage of the people who are traveling and they'll charge them higher prices and maybe that's also more of a loss for them. Okay. The buses from Eilat, they all stop somewhere. And the bus drivers know. Where right. If you're a traveler on the bus, you have to take your own food because they don't know you when you get charged. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Totally. Avod Rav Acha Here's a strange way of calling him. He's the father of... Rav Acha, the son of Rav Ika, which really means it was Rav Ika, okay? <laughs> but they say it because Rav Ika was an unknown, he was an unknown, and Rav Acha was more known, so they say the father of Rav Acha, who was the son of Rav Ika, <laughs> He would sell wine to non-Jews, and what would he do? Okay, it was kosher wine. He would sell it to the non-Jews. He would pour it, <laughs> he would pour it into their wineskins, and then he would have them, it's included in the price of what he sold them. It was included the ferry ride to get to the other side. And they would pay him a salary. It's included normally, what you have to assume here is that included in the price of wine was also the price of the barrels, the chaviot that the wine came in. But they, since he would pour it into their wineskins for them, they would return to him the actual chaviot, and that would be part of it. it was, I, to me, I viewed it as like a tip. They would give him his extra money 
take the chavit with you. Okay, instead of, you know, we paid for the chavit, but we're giving you back the chavit. Okay? Um, so he was doing this. And they said to Abaye, what was going on here? Amarle, and that's what they say, basically. He's making money off of Yenesa, because as soon as they take the wine, and then he's crossing them across in the ferry, so he's basically benefiting them, right? benefiting from Yenesa. So how could he do this? So Amarlei, ki katarich behetera katarich. Says, no, because when he's dealing with the wine, you know, and that's, first they said, what do you mean? He's like pouring wine for, for non-Jews. This is Yenesach. He no, no. When he pours the wine, it's all Beheter. There's no problem because he's pouring the wine. He's controlling it, right? We saw this before. If he pours it into their jugs, it's okay. So that's not a problem. So they say, But doesn't he want the wine to... Now, what's the issue here? He wants the wine to exist because if they start walking... Right, what, that, what happened? They gave him Chaviot back. So if they start walking and their wineskin breaks, they're going to come back to him and say, listen, I know we gave you these chaviot, but we need them because now we can't transport the wine and they'll take back the chaviot. So therefore, he wants it b'kiyumo. It's not the wine to exist. He wants the wineskins to exist. Right, but that's right. He wants the wineskins to exist, yes. Okay? Um, and that's, but that's connected with the wine that's in it that's now forbidden because they are carrying the wine. So now they say, Delo um, nitztaruzike. One second. Uh, no, they didn't want to split. Oh, sorry, right. Harot said, Delo nitztaruzike. Delo nitztaruzike. So now what do they answer? Dematnu bahadaihu. It could be that they made a tznai that they weren't going to take them back. Okay. Inami demaitu pristike bahadaihu. Or maybe they brought with them empty jugs so that in case they had a problem with their wineskins, they'd be able to put it into the jugs to transport. Okay? So either which way, it's a case, you'd have to explain it's a case where he wasn't worried that they were going to demand the chaviot back, in which case he doesn't want pekium hayayin, and then it's okay. But now they ask another question, which is ma'abara. But he's letting them go on the ferry, right? To katarach surah, Right? And he's basically... Helping them once the wine is forbidden. So what do they say? They have to assume that he arranged the whole ferry ride from before. Okay, either he told the ferryman from before. Now the, the point is, once they have the wine, if he starts getting involved and tells the guy in the ferry, pass them over, you know, for free, the assumption was all included in his original price. So if he says that, pass them over for free, then he's basically getting involved in Yenesach. So you have to say that he arranged it all from beforehand. Or, Nikite Bey Kitri, or he gave them a little rope, like a little knot. And the ferryman knew that whoever gives him knots gets to go for free. So that he gave them the knot before the Yain turned into Yenesach, and therefore it's okay. New Mishnah. Yain Nesach Shanafal Al Gabe Av Anavim. Now we're going to have a whole thing about notain tam, and which we know about. Be- okay, there's something called notain tam, okay, which we know from kashrut. What's notain tam? Notain tam is when something falls into something else, and it gives flavor. You can take it. You, I'm sorry, you can taste the flavor, and it enhances it. Right? There's notain tam l'shvach and notain tam l'gam. So we're going to get into all this. If you don't actually taste it, then we generally assume that. How do we know if it's notain tam? If you can't figure out, it's shishim. 
right? Batal Bashishim, we always say Batal Bashishim, 1 60th, that's because that's the amount in a case where you can't actually tell the taste, we can assume 1 60th is the general, you know, at that point it's not going to give flavor anymore. If there's 60 times the heter to the one time of Isser, it's not, you're not going to taste it. So what if Yai Nesach falls on Anavim? So all you have to do is rinse off the Anavim, mutarot, because the assumption is Anavim are sealed, Okay, the assumption is, I read that if the stem is out, then it's a problem because there's kind of a hole. But if they're on their stems, you can just rinse them off and they're mutarot because you've got, got the yayin off. Vima yumuvukaot, and if they were cracked open, then asurot because then it gets in and it seeps in. Nafala gabet inim or gabet marim. There's actually a machlok at whether these words appear. There's a different nuschaot. Our nuschaot has it, but not all nuschaot have this line. If it falls on fresh figs or dates, if the flavor and hand, you know, if you can taste the flavor, then it's a sore, or if it's one sixtieth. We saw this character before. So he was bringing figs in a boat, and a whole barrel he had of yenesach broke and fell on you now groat or dried figs. So before we were talking about wet figs, now we're talking about dry figs. So if you have this nusach, the difference is going to be between wet figs and dry figs. If you don't have this nusach, we'll see the difference is between notein tam lefgam and notein tam lefshvach. Okay, but anyway, what happens here? Okay, and they matured it, right? Notice the case before, we just said it was usher for falls on tainim, and here it says it falls on tainim. It's mutar. The Gemara is going to immediately ask what this masek restore. It sounds like it contradicts, and then they'll say what the difference is. Zehaklau. Okay, if vinegar falls on, on barley, then that's bad flavor, and then it's okay. So if it's no tam and it's good time, then it's then it's forbidden, and if it's no tam and it's a bad time, then it's permitted. It's only the tam, it's not the properties of the... It's, like it's both. It's a matter of how much flavor is given and does the flavor enhance or... No, like if you put lemon juice into milk, it curdles. So it, it doesn't... I mean, the taste may be the same, but the, the property of it is different. Uh, okay, so they're not exactly talking about changing the property of things here. Okay, so the Gemara immediately asked, Masa Listor, it sounds like, right, we said, if it falls on Tainim, if Benotain Tam, it's a sore, and then they give this case where they say it fell on Tainim and they matured it. So does the Masa come to contradict the halacha? So they say no. This is what it meant to say. Here we add the lifgam, right? If it gives noten tam in a bad way, mutar. So the assumption is, again, let's just go with our nusach. It falls on tainim or tamarim. If it has been noten tam, it's a sore because there it enhances them. But if, and there's a difference, according to this, between dried figs and wet figs. So wet, fresh figs, we're going to say it gives a good flavor, it enhances. But if it falls on dried figs, it's going to ruin them. There was a pile of chitim, of wheat, that a chavit of yenesech falls upon them, fell upon them. Rava allowed them to sell them to ovdei kochavim, right? He didn't allow it to eat them. But he allowed them to be sold to Avdei Kochavim. Right here you see Asur Bachila, but Mutar Behana'a. Etive Rabba Bar Levi Le Rava. Rabba Bar Levi asked Rabba a question based on this other source. Beged Sha'ava Bo Kilaim. Hareze Loim Kirenelo Avdei Kochavim. Let's say you have a beged that has Kilaim, but you can't tell it has Kilaim. Okay? 
So that can't be sold to an Ovei Kochavim. Velo yasen amirdat lechamor, and you can't use it for a saddle for your donkey. Aval oseo to tachrichin lemeit mitzvah, lemeit mitzvah, lemeit mitzvah, period. But you can use it for tachrichim, for a meit mitzvah. For someone who doesn't have anyone to help deal with the burial, you can use it for tachrichim. Why can you use kilayim for tachrichim? He's not chayav a mitzvah, so there's no problem. And what's the issue? Why you can use it for tachrichim, but you can't sell it to an obey chavim. We're going to see right now. my time alone. We're worried if you sell this bag that has kilayim, but no one can tell it has, right, it's shatnes, but no one can tell it has shatnes. Okay, and as the assumption was, right, nowadays, no one can really tell anyway it has shotness, right? We always have to take it to, for a shotness check. But in those days, it was, I guess, people knew it better, how to tell if it was shotness. But in this way, it was kind of hidden, and you couldn't really tell. So you can't sell it to a non-Jew, because there's a concern, the non-Jew, it's like a lifting ever lotite michshol. Someone's going to buy it from the non-Jew and not realize, and he might resell it to a Jew. But tachrichim for a mate mitzvah is not a problem, because... You're not allowed to get any hana'ah from tachrichim for a meit mitzvah, so from tachrichim at all. So the assumption is that <coughs> once it's used there, it won't be used ever again. And there's no problem for the meit mitzvah to get benefit because he's dead and he's not chayav a mitzvah. So the only thing you can do with it basically is use it for tachrichim, is what they're basically saying. What does this have to do with our case? Because now we're going to say when he allowed the chitim, that the, the one gay nesa fell, and he said, You can sell it to a non Jew. Why are we worried that the non-Jew will resell it to a Jew? And the Jew won't know that there's Yei Nesech swallowed up here. So HaChanami Ati Israel. Here also they might resell to a Jew. So Hadar Shara Lemitchinu Ulemapinu Ulezevninu Lovdei Kochavim Shelo Bifnei Yisrael. So he said, no, or he went and then he matured it only in a particular way. He says you have to grind them and bake them and sell these loaves of bread to non-Jews, not Bifnei Yisrael, so that the, anyone who would go to buy them now will think it was pot akum, that an akum baked. Right? If a non-Jew tries to sell you bread, you're not going to buy it. You don't know who he bought it from. Right? That's why you have to make sure that the Jew doesn't see you, no Jew see you selling it to the non-Jew. If nobody sees you sell it, then there's no worry about resale, because you can't resell it to a Jew, because Jews won't eat it, because it's pot akum. What do you see here? Why should it be a problem anyway with the chitim, he says? Because only if they're cracked is it a problem. But chitim are not, the chitim weren't cracked. So therefore you should just be able to rinse them off and it shouldn't have been a problem at all. So why do you even say that you have to sell it to non-Jews? Right? There's like a little crack in the chitim right there. The nature of chitim is that there's a crack in them. So through that little crack, the wine can seep, and therefore they're considered like mevukaot.